Numbers chapter 33, verse 1. These are the stages of the children of Israel by which they went forth out of the land of Egypt by their hosts under the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote their goings forth stage by stage by the commandment of the Lord. And these are their stages at their goings forth. So now it's going to explain to us the entire journey of the Israelites from Egypt to Canaan, because they're at the doors of Canaan now. At the top of the Red Sea, the Red Sea is massive, and it's all along the west side of Saudi Arabia. But at the top of the Red Sea, it kind of forks. Looks like somebody is holding their fingers up to say peace. In the middle of that fork is kind of a peninsula. And that little peninsula, which is actually kind of big, is the left tip of the Red Sea is on the left side of that peninsula. And that's where the Israelites left Egypt. The right tip of the Red Sea goes along the right side of that peninsula. And that's where the Israelites entered into Canaan which later became Israel. In between the V of the two fingers of water that you're looking at, that's really their journey. In a nutshell, they crossed the tip of water on the left and when they crossed the Red Sea. And then they went down into that V of the peninsula going southward until they came to Sinai. It only took them, a, I think, a couple of months to get to Sinai. They could have done the entire journey in a couple of months, but they were there for 40 years because of their sin. At the bottom of the V is where Mount Sinai is, and they stayed there for a while and got the law of the Lord. And then they started going up northeast on the right side of that other little body of water that's at the top of the Red Sea. Then they were going north up the V-shaped peninsula. When they got up to the top on the right side, then they started zigzagging around because the 40 years weren't up and they still weren't ready to enter Canaan. God had them zigzag around a little bit in that area. And then he finally let them enter Canaan. Now we're going to read about that whole journey. Three, and they journeyed from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month on the morrow, which means the next day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. Now that's the high hand of God that they went out because they went out with signs, wonders, and miracles and plagues. For while the Egyptians were burying them that the Lord had smitten among them, even all their firstborn, because that was the last plague, was when all the firstborn in Egypt died. Upon their gods also the Lord executed judgment. We read about how every single plague was an assault on one of the Egyptian gods. 5. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses and pitched in Succoth. Succoth is kind of near the left tip body of water above the Red Sea. And this is near where they're going to cross the Red Sea. And it's more on the Egyptian side. And they pitched in Etham, which is in the edge of the wilderness. That's the very beginning of where the wilderness starts. Seven, and they journeyed from Etham and turned back unto Pi-Airoth, which is before Belzephon, and they pitched before Migdal. Migdal is continuing south, and it's still really close to that body of water on the left side. 8. And they journeyed from Penhaheroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness, and they went three days' journey in the wilderness of Etham and pitched in Mara. Mara means bitter. This is a place of bitter water, and that's where they complained. That must be where they crossed the Red Sea. So then they got to Mara. 
and that's right near the Red Sea. The V of the two fingers, it's on the left, but it's real close to that left finger. 9. And they journeyed from Mara and came unto Elam, and in Elam were twelve springs of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they pitched there. Threescore is sixty, so that's seventy palm trees and twelve springs of water. Now the twelve springs represent the twelve tribes, and the seventy palms represent many things in the Bible, but most importantly they represent the initial seventy people who were from Israel's family who first came from Egypt. Seventy people came to Egypt, but then millions left. 10. And they journeyed from Elam and pitched by the Red Sea. Elam is close to the Red Sea, but it's not right next to it, and that explains why there's an oasis with palm trees and springs, because you would need that if you're not right next to the sea. Then they moved closer to the Red Sea and made another camp closer. 11. And they journeyed from the Red Sea and pitched in the wilderness of sin. It always cracks me up that they pitched in the wilderness of sin, because they were full of sin. Even though God had taken them out of Egypt, the Egypt hadn't left them yet. They still had Egypt in their hearts. 12. And they journeyed from the wilderness of sin and pitched in Dafka. Dafka is further away from the sea, and this is still continuing south. So far in this whole journey, they've only gone south, down the V-shaped peninsula. Dafka is getting closer to Mount Sinai, but it's not quite there. 13. And they journeyed from Dafka and pitched in Elush, so that's the next area, getting closer to Sinai. 14. And they journeyed from Elush and pitched in Rephidim, where was no water for the people to drink. Now this is another place where the people complained, because they didn't have ready water. They had already seen so many miracles, it shouldn't have surprised them that God would bring them where there's no ready water, because he can make water appear in an instant. In Rephidim, they're very close to Mount Sinai. They're much further inland at this point, because when they get down to the V, they weren't staying close to the water at that point. Mount Sinai is a little distance from the water. 15. And they journeyed from Rephidim and pitched in the wilderness of Sinai. Now they're finally at the most southern point that they ever arrived. Mount Sinai is the most southern point on their journey, so it's the furthest from Canaan, if you're looking at it just from north to south. And all these times where they pitched and journeyed, pitched and journeyed, you know that they only journeyed when the column of smoke or the column of fire moved. And they only pitched when the column of smoke or the column of fire stayed. That's one thing that they were very faithful about, and they never sinned against God in that fashion. They never journeyed when the column didn't move, and they never pitched when the column didn't pitch. 16. And they journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai and pitched in Kibroth Hetava. This is now finally going north. This is the first place where they traveled to that is north of Sinai. Now they stayed in Sinai to get the law from the Lord. 18. And they journeyed from Hazaroth and pitched in Rithmah. And this is continuing north. It's somewhere north of Kibroth Hatava. 19. And they journeyed from Rithmah and pitched in Ramon Perez. 20. And they journeyed from Ramon Perez and pitched in Libna. At this point, they're starting to do their zigzag thing a little bit because Libna is really far west, super far from the Red Sea, and it's high in the peninsula. Libna and Ramon Perez are way out there in the wilderness, and they're in kind of a mid-central point of that peninsula. 
actually getting closer toward the Mediterranean. They're kind of halfway between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. 21, and they journeyed from Libna and pitched in Rissa. 22, and they journeyed from Rissa and pitched in Kehela. They must have been traveling east again, because to get to Libna and Ramon Perez, you have to go west. So to get to Kehela, you're probably going east again. 23, and they journeyed from Kehela and pitched in Mount Shefer. Mount Shefer is going back southeastward. 24, and they journeyed from Mount Shefer and pitched in Harada. 25, and they journeyed from Harada and pitched in Machiloth. And Machiloth is a little more east. It's not very far south, but it's more east. 26, and they journeyed from Machiloth and pitched in Tahath. And that's going north. This is the zigzag journey here. They're just kind of all over the place. And it's because God is making them wait out in the wilderness. And so he's just moving them around kind of aimlessly as they wait for the 40 years to end. 27, and they journeyed from Tamath and pitched in Terah. This is north now. 28, and they journeyed from Terah and pitched in Mithka. And that's further north. Mithka is almost getting toward the outside of this peninsula where you're kind of leaving the peninsula and headed toward Canaan. 29, and they journeyed from Mithka and pitched in Hashmanah. 30, and they journeyed from Hashmanah and pitched in Maseroth. And Maseroth is going south again, but it's still on the edge of the peninsula getting toward Canaan. 31, and they journeyed from Maseroth and pitched in Bene Jachan. 32, and they journeyed from Beni Jachin and pitched in Hor Hagid God. Now they're going north again. 33, and they journeyed from Hor Hagid God and pitched in Jatba. 34, and they journeyed from Jatba and pitched in Abranah. Abranah is going way south. They took a southern dip, touching the top of that right finger of the V of the Red Sea. So they're back to the water. 35, and they journeyed from Abranah and pitched in Ezion Geber, which is very close to Abranah, and it's still near the water. It's just a little further east. 36, and they journeyed from Ezion Geber and pitched in the wilderness of Zin, the same as Kadesh. So the name Kadesh is also the wilderness of Zin. That's real far north. After dipping south, they went right back up where they ended up right near Maseroth. The wilderness of Zin is near Maseroth. 37, and they journeyed from Kadesh and pitched in Mount Hor in the edge of the land of Edom. That's where the Edomites lived, and they're named after Esau because Edom means red. Edom is kind of getting totally off the peninsula. It's east of the peninsula. It's south of Moab where they ended up fighting the Moabites, and it's also south of Canaan. 38, and Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fifth month on the first day of the month. At the very end of their journey, that's when Aaron died. But Moses was alive for a few months longer to continue giving the law and giving instructions before he died, and also to pass the torch on to Joshua and help Eleazar transition into being the high priest. 39. And Aaron was a hundred and twenty and three years old when he died in Mount Hor. Back in Genesis, God had said, I'm not going to let 
man live longer than 120. And a lot of us, including me, misunderstood that and couldn't understand why people in the Bible kept living longer than 120 when God said he wasn't going to let the people live longer than 120 years. But what he meant back in Genesis wasn't that each individual person wouldn't live more than 120 years. What he meant was from this day forward in a 120 years, I will start the flood. What he meant was in 120 years is coming disaster. That's why people do live over 120 sometimes. 40. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. 41. And they journeyed from Mount Hor and pitched in Zalmona. 42. And they journeyed from Zalmona and pitched in Punan. The Israelites moved when the Canaanites heard that they were near. At that point, the Israelites moved a little bit. Zalmona is going a little bit northwest. Punan is a little bit east of that, getting closer to the Moabites. 43. And they journeyed from Punan and pitched in Oboth, which is further north, getting closer to Canaan. 44. And they journeyed from Oboth and pitched in Iji Abarim, in the border of Moab continuing more northeast. 45. And they journeyed from Ijim and pitched in Dibon Gad. Dibon Gad is a big leap northward and a little bit west, and it's right near the Dead Sea, which is the Salt Sea near Israel. That's pretty much in the land of Canaan. Hop, skip, and a jump away. 46. And they journeyed from Dibon Gad and pitched in Alman Diblatham and pitched in the mountains of Abarim in front of Nebo. And Nebo is a mountain. That's just a little bit more north. 48. And they journeyed from the mountains of Abarim and pitched in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. The Jericho River is a river that is above and seems to come out of the Dead Sea. A minute ago in Dibon, they were near the Dead Sea. Now they're right above it at the Jordan River. And they have to cross the Jordan to enter Canaan, which they haven't done yet. 49. And they pitched by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth even unto Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. Because there's so many of them, there's so many millions, then the cattle on top of that, they're in between these two areas, Beth Jeshemoth and Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. 50. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, 51. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, 52. Then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their figured stones, that's their idols, and destroy all their molten images, and demolish all their high places. They made images of brass, gold, silver, whatever. And the high places are the hills where they did their child sacrifice and their other sacrifices and where they made their perfumes and their altars. And they would often do it under oak trees, old trees, because they worship the trees too. That's why a lot of times in the Bible, anytime it says high place, it's talking about a pagan sacrificial altar. And it can also be where perfumes are made for the pagan gods. And a lot of times when they talk about oak trees in the Bible, they're talking about a pagan worship site. He's telling them, demolish all of those altars that defile the land and make me angry. Because all those altars are to demon gods. 53. And ye shall drive out the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for unto you have I given the land to possess it. 
54, And ye shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the more ye shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer thou shalt give the less inheritance. Wheresoever the lot falleth to any man, that shall be his according to the tribes of your fathers shall ye inherit. God will determine which tribes get which areas, and then Joshua is to make sure that within where they land on the lot, they only can spread out as far according to how many people they have. You could think of it as dots on a domino. Say there's 12 dots on the domino. Each tribe gets a dot. However, some dots are bigger than others. It depends on how many people are in your tribe. You'll either get a big dot or a little dot, and that's what God is saying. He will determine where the dots are, but it's up to the leaders to make sure which space is bigger and which space is smaller. Now all the spaces are going to connect. 55. But if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then shall those that ye let remain of them be as thorns in your eyes, and as pricks in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land wherein ye dwell. Now this is true of the salvation life. When we get born again, when we get saved, God calls us to drive all the demons and all the sin out of our life so that we get cleansed and we take over our life completely for Jesus. We give up the smoking, we give up the drinking, we give up the dirty movies, we give up chasing after worldly pleasures. Oh, I got to go to this carnival, I got to go to that fair, I got to go to that movie, I got to go out with my friends tonight. You give up all that nonsense and you start living for Jesus. You may have to walk away from a career or a house deal or whatever it is because it just isn't the Lord's will. So you just decide you're not going to do it because you want to please the Lord. And you go in the direction that he has you go. But if you hold on to certain sins, which a lot of Christians do, and I also struggled with certain sins for years and years, but if you hold on to a sin that you just don't want to let go, like, I just can't stop gambling, I, I just can't stop watching rated R movies, I just can't stop swearing, whatever it is that you want to hold on to, that will become a thorn in your eyes. That will plague your life, and that will hold you down. This is why we need to take over the land completely, which is our soul. We need to take it all over for Jesus. We need to really repent, pray, whatever it takes to submit more and more and more to Christ. Otherwise, these little sins will just be a thorn and they will continue to harass us. The demons that are associated with these sins will continue to harass us. And that's one reason why some people have illness because of a sin. Now, that's not always why you have illness, but sometimes it can be because of a sin that you won't give up. Or some people have financial troubles because of a sin that they won't give up. Or some people have relationship problems because of a sin that they just won't give up. It becomes a thorn in your life. And that's why you need to be highly motivated to give that stuff up. Your life will be so much better. And I speak from experience. The more trash that gets removed from my life, the happier and more peaceful and more content I am. It's actually altered my personality because I'm so content now that I have a totally different personality than I did 15 years ago. It's really good. 56. And it shall come to pass that as I thought to do unto them, so will I do unto you. This is a warning. He's saying, if you don't give up your sin, I'm going to punish you the same way I punished the pagans. 
And God does do that to his children. As we all know, those of us who are Christians, when we held on to sin, we paid for it. And that's because he's a loving father and he won't let us get away with stuff because a loving father disciplines his children. If you want to experience the discipline of God, then be stubborn in your sin. I have experienced the discipline of God and it's extremely painful. And I don't want to ever go through that again. And that concludes Numbers chapter 33.